morning. This is Real Estate for Breakfast. I'm your host, Phil Coover, a partner at Ice Miller's Real Estate Practice Group. Today, we have a great guest. We have Dave Seymour, the CEO of Freedom Venture Investments. Dave, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. I've already had a lot of fun before we even started recording. And then I was looking at real estate for breakfast, and I'm thinking, what about lunch and dinner? Let's let's make it a, right? And those are the next evolutions, you know. For sure, for <laughs> sure. Well, thanks thanks for having me, Phil. Thanks for having when me. I, when I left the first, I started this podcast at a different firm. When I left the firm, I thought I wasn't going to be able to bring it with me. We ended up working it out. But I did think I was going to have to start real estate for dinner. And, yeah, yeah. You know, that right. was going to be the next one. Or just elevate it a little bit. Call it brunch. Real estate for brunch. Because brunch is so much fancier than breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You know what I mean? You know, we're, we're getting off track. But I, I actually don't like brunch. It's just, you know, I'm just I'm more of a breakfast guy. Breakfast, okay. Lunch. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Bacon and eggs. It's all good. I'm with you. Protein to start the day off right. Anyway, as we were saying, go ahead. <laughs> Please uh, tell us a little bit about Freedom Venture Investments and what you all are trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. As Yoda says, there is no try. There is either do or no do, right? So uh, that's my that's my first my first commentary, Freedom Venture Investments, private equity, real estate company focusing on the middle markets. We buy, reposition, and sell uh, apartment complexes throughout the Florida market. We were initially um, launched targeting in uh, the Gulf Coast region, but um, the, the deal flow is so strong that uh, it didn't make any sense to, to limit ourselves geographically. You know, we, we, we target 20 to 150-unit apartment complexes, B-class assets, built 1990 or newer. And uh, we have a couple of strategies that we execute on those. One is our, our fund strategy, private equity fund. It's a $100 million fund. We're still raising capital, so there's room for you, Phil. And uh, that fund deploys in a very succinct buy box, B-class assets, like I said, 1990 or newer. And we focus on what's called core plus in our business. Core meaning cash flow, plus meaning an uh, an opportunity to reposition uh, either through most of the time through poorly managed assets. Uh, And then on occasion, there's there's also a little light capex or or capital improvements. And what that does, increase the NOI, increase the NOI, increase the value. So that's a longer hold period for our investors, 72 months. And then um, an accoutrement, I love that word. I've been using it a lot lately. An accoutrement to that strategy is um, one-off deals or, or syndicated deals in parallel with the fund assets. And those are, again, primarily smaller class, 20 to 150. But um, we're actually underwriting 180 doors right now. We just walked a 200-unit complex and we're also looking at a massive uh, opportunistic play on 350-unit complex uh, in our primary market. But those assets are sidecar deals. Um, they've got less cash flow on the front end, but they've got very aggressive multiples on the back end and IRRs targeted out for investors. So how do you decide what deals will will go to the fund and what deals you're going to do is kind of standalone syndicated deals? Yeah, yeah. Great question. You know, the SEC is a beautiful entity. They hold me accountable for every single word that I say. So, right. Uh, when we put the the PPM, the, the private placement memorandum together for our fund structure, it is very, again, succinct. It's dialed in. So, you know, can I 
bend the edges of reality on what an actual assets um, entrance and exit strategy is? Yes, but that's a disservice to the investors. So the decision is made purely on the targeted returns, uh, number of doors, classification. Is it a B class? Is it a C class that wants to be a B? Is it workforce housing? Does it have core attached to it on the front end, core cash flow? Is it in a good position to cash flow? So if it's not cash flowing with strength at the time of acquisition, it's not going to go into the fund. You know, my investors in the fund have an expectation of quarterly distributions at a certain targeted number. So, you know, I do everything in my power or we do as a team, obviously, to, to meet those expectations. So, you know, some we in, in real estate, we say it's got some hair on it, right? We like we like the hairier ones outside of uh, outside of the fund structure. Uh, those offer uh, more aggressive return, um, targeted return uh, landscape to the investors. Yeah, you know what? What I really like about what you're trying to do is you seem to know what you like, and you're yeah. not just raising capital for the sake of raising capital and then going out and trying to find it. But you have a pretty a limited, but it's pretty broad geographic area. And then you're not, you know, a lot of people try to say this uh, in, in, a, in a nice way, but a lot of people just like to go for the pristine assets, raise as much capital sure. as possible, buy the trophies that look really yeah. good and, you know, really like to, to puff their chest out. But here you're saying like, I know what I like and what I think the value is and mm-hmm. you're going to go mm-hmm. after that pretty now, How did you guys decide on, on that kind of asset range and type? Those are such good questions, right? And I'll give you a couple of examples. First of all, to put a context on it, you know, how do we end up in the Florida? You're in Chicago, I'm in Boston, I'm buying down in Florida. Well, how do you accomplish that? First of all, you can only accomplish that with the right team. So my acquisitions team is headed by uh, Walter Novicki. Uh, Walter Novicki is one of the managing partners at Freedom Venture Investments. And he's been in that market for, it's interesting, you can do it in, in years and decades, or if you're an intelligent uh, operator, you do it in market cycles, right? How many market cycles and corrections have you seen? So Walter's been through three, maybe three and a half corrections in the marketplace down in Florida. I've been through a couple in my own career, but that represents you know, 25, 28 years in that marketplace. So to be able to know exactly where the yield is for an investor, well, that takes history. That takes a team being in place. Um, you know, you can have the best business plan in the world, but if you don't have the verticals, property management, construction team to execute on that business plan, if you don't have first lien position banking relationships that say, oh, it's those guys, yeah, well, well, you know, the debt service ratio is right, but based on their underwriting, that's a good deal to do. So... It's interesting. I've got a responsibility when I raise capital to meet my targeted returns. Um, It's very interesting to see what's going on in a marketplace, especially in Florida, because it is the number one marketplace, in our opinion, is the fact that there is a lot of, and I say this respectfully, although it's a disrespectful term, but there is millions, if not billions of stupid money coming into these markets right now. Um, and to us as a more aggressive investors working with, with accredited investors as, as part of the team to put the deals together, you know, for us, we, we say, how, how on earth can you buy that, you know, that signature unit that you referred to, Phil, right? The, I say bikinis and palm trees and swimming pools and, oh, my Lord, I own a piece of that. 
well, the silly money's coming down and it's buying those things and they're trading it at practically negative yield if you start to believe what's going on with inflation in the marketplace, right? They're transacting yeah. these larger, larger deals at, you know, 2.75, 3.2 uh, cap rates. Um, that's not my wheelhouse. That's not my wheelhouse. I can't service my investors if I do that. So, you know, the, the need um, for my investors drives the demand that we go look for, right? And we're able to meet that demand, if you will, because of the 25-plus year relationship. So we, we love the um, what we call a mom-and-pop operator, right? They're in that 20 to 150 doors. They've owned it for 5, 10, 15 years. They haven't done anything to the property. They don't know how to manage the property. Their expense ratio is in the 60% of expense-to-income ratios. You know, they're leaving millions and millions of dollars in valuation on the table because they're amateur, not professional. That's my, that's my unicorn. That's my, my, my golden goose. So um, it's a case of weeding through all of the garbage, uh, all of the, the fluffy um, pro formers that are floating around in the marketplace right now. Uh, it's a case of weeding through the, the true amateur operators. And, and it's, it is what it is, man. I can't paint a prettier picture. You know, an investor really invests in the team, in the general partners. And the sticks and bricks is obviously the, uh, you know, the, the, the solidity, the, the valuation, if you will, uh, underneath that, that team to, to, to get secured against. But, you know, it's, um, it's an interesting market. And what's funny is, funny however you want to look at it, <laughs> they started to come and play in my sandbox. And that 3% yield yeah. money, yeah, man, that 3% yield money has started to, to infiltrate my, my sandbox. And, um, you know, what do you do? Are you nimble enough as a company to adjust when that, that silly money is, is, is knocking on your door? And for us, it's, it's great because, again, time in a marketplace says we know what to do next. And for us, it's looking at um, uh, hybrid deals. And what I mean by that is, what if I could buy a, a 50-unit complex that still had enough dirt on that land that I could build another 50? Well, that's a home run because I've got the cash flow. I only buy based on, on the income that it's currently uh, bringing in on 50 doors, but I got such a huge upside potential. And the question always is, is, well, supply and demand. Well, guess what? Florida is coming in droves uh, needing, needing housing. So, um, you know, to, to fulfill that housing demand 18, 24 months out as we build new housing in these complexes, just makes makes sense. And, and the upside of those, again, is very, very aggressive uh, for investors going forward. Well, thanks for that, that response. There's, there's a lot in there I want to ask you about. Yeah. But, um, you know, some of these some of these podcasts, I start with kind of who are you? Where'd you come from? How'd mm. you get to mm. where you are? And this time we jumped right into the real estate. Yeah, part yeah it was good. I was kind of saving. I wanted to hit them with some some hard real estate for breakfast, and then, uh, but I was kind of saving your story a little bit because, as you mentioned, your your investors are investing in you, and mm. you know the GPs, and you guys have built yeah. out this really uh, experienced team. For those of you that that live in Boston and know know Dave a little bit, you've been on a TV show, and you've uh, been on you're on a radio show. The, Real estate revealed radio show, weekly show, but you know how'd you get into real estate and, and how'd you, yeah. you know to yeah. take us on a little journey? 
Take a little journey. Oh, my favorite topic, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the opening line of the Californian, right? No offense to my friends in California. I love it. Look, yeah. man, I'm not um, I'm not an attorney, counselor. You know, I'm not coming out from, from Harvard or Yale or uh, any of those places. And again, that's no right or wrong, right? Um, it takes 10,000 hours, they say, to be an expert in any subject. So, you know, for me, my, my 10,000 hours started pretty much while I was a firefighter and a paramedic. I worked 16 years um, just north of Boston in a city called Lynn, Lynn, Massachusetts. If you got any listeners in Mass, they know where Lynn is. It's got a little moniker that attached. It goes, Lynn, Lynn, the city of sin. You never come out the way you went in. So it, it had a little bit of a had a little bit of a reputation. Um, you know, we we it was a tough neighborhood. But one of the things I found very early on was one, I like to serve, and I don't mean that as a as a corny little phrase. I mean, I genuinely like to serve. I like to make a difference. Uh, you know, when somebody circling the drain, as we called it in paramedicine, there was nothing more powerful than being able to reach in the box, pull the right drug at the right dose in, in a split second find a vein, give the medicine, save the life. I mean, that, that, that's impactful, right? That's, uh, that's, a, that's a gift to be um, in a position like that, to be able to impact somebody's life. So, you know, I genuinely like to serve. But the challenge was this, is that, you know, financial freedom wasn't necessarily attached to a government pension, which is, uh, in my opinion, a little bit of a joke when you begin to understand uh, finance and money and leverage and compounding costs in comparison to compounding returns. You know, I got a little education. And um, while working as a firefighter, I ran a small construction company on our days off. And it was there that I, I, I got a real taste for sticks and bricks. So I've done this business, if you will, straight up, ground up, right? From digging down to the frost line in January, because I got I to gotta get a footing in for a deck, to uh, you know, to being able to do some some pretty substantial uh, build work uh, throughout my career. The one thing I found out was this: is that um, you know, I had some. I, I, it's full disclosure, man. I am who I am. I don't ever claim to be anybody else. Um, I had some serious challenges around financial education. I was I was raised as a blue collar guy, and all I knew was to trade time for money. And if you needed more money, you traded more time. And, um, you know, when you, when you spend more than you earn, as the American way tends to be sometimes, right, they give you the, the, the credit card and, and you've got to keep up with the Joneses and follow the herd into the 401k retirement plans and all the things that, that are out there. You know, there's a consequence for that. And for me, I, I needed to adjust and change. I was losing a house. I was, my marriage was kind of crappy. Um, it was crappy. I got divorced. Let's just be honest. And, um, you know, I was paying a real price for that. Anyway, I stepped back and um, I realized that when I was I was working construction, there were these real estate investors that would come through on occasion. And uh, if I could paint the picture for you, I'm digging ditches. My iced coffee is frozen solid, right? The hot coffee ain't coffee anymore. Uh, I'm not feeling great. I'm kind of dirty. My, my body's kind of beat. And these, these real estate investors were rolling up in nicer cars, nicer clothes, uh, in the in the summer they were cool and in the winter they were warm and um, their attitude was different and I, I began to question them, Phil. And what I found out was, and I mean this with respect again, they weren't that smart. They were yeah. not smart. You know what I'm saying? Like they weren't carrying some kind of unbelievable degree, 
you know, from you know, a law degree on the wall. They weren't carrying, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, what is it? And it was fundamentals that they knew that I didn't. And I went out and I began to learn the fundamentals. And that's where it started. And from there, I got recognized as one of the most aggressive and performance-driven distressed asset investors in the Boston market. Uh, I was aligned with the attorney general's office. Uh, Martha Coakley was our AG at the time. And um, she was on a mission to um, get all these abandoned properties that the banks have walked away from after the crash. Uh, back on the tax rolls, and uh, I worked alongside Martha Coakley. And um, so, what is this you know, like? Two thousand eight, two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah, eight, nine, ten. It was funny, man. When everybody, when everybody else went running out, I went running in. Kind of like that firefighter mentality. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. It was crazy because if you told people in two thousand and eight you're a real estate investor, they used to like shun you as if you were a leper. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm so. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I, I learned. I learned yeah. something. It's it's at moments like that, and moments like this, where we are today, where there's a huge shift in 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 societal awareness around anything, money, diseases, whatever it is. When you've got that much movement, it comes with massive, massive opportunities. And uh, you know, I I put, took myself from <laughs> from a pre pre foreclosure. Uh, environment in my own primary residence to 18 months later, um, having to, um, I say, retire from the fire department. I, I quit. Uh, it just cost me way too much money to to go be that firefighter paramedic. And um, I'm I'm an all in kind of guy. I don't I don't do anything in half measures. Half measures avail us nothing. And um, I I just went for for real estate at, at all levels as as aggressively as I could. How did you uh, did you raise capital from other from people you knew to start investing? Did you just start doing it and just scaling it one by one? A little bit yeah, of time? yeah, man. I learned I learned from uh, it's kind of interesting. I learned from the seminar world. You know that uh, free one and a half hour seminar coming to your neck of the woods, right? I attended, and I began to hear things like OPM, other people's money. They said to me that the value is in the deal, not in the money. Money's everywhere. They said, you, you work the deal. Uh, you, you, you put the deal in front of people with capital. That capital is dying to go to work. If you think about money in, in, as, a, as, a, as a tool, which is all it is, um, it hates resistance. It hates friction. Um, nothing worse than money that stands still. Sitting in equity in primary residence, equity in a in a you know in a in any kind of piece of real estate, uh, dying on a on a low yield in a, in the bond market, you know that's criminal as far as I'm concerned. And I'm like I'm listening to this guy go, yeah, I'm with you, man. I agree. See my buddies in the fire department going by right now, waving at me. It's like I, I'm like I agree with you, man. I agree. I agree. So I was, you know what it was, I was open to something new. Yeah. I learned a long time ago, contempt prior to investigation will limit your options. And a lot of people are like, that doesn't work or that's not possible. Well, it is possible. So, you know, I did a, a couple of what they call wholesale transactions. Uh, I control bank-owned assets in the beginning uh, with, a, with a purchase and sales agreement. I was able to transfer the equitable interest in a bank-owned property back then to another investor. The banks were like screaming and shouting back then. They didn't know what was up. Right, they they had no idea what what's an REO, what's what's a short sale, what's a loan modification, what is this? 
You know what it is? It's service to the people who just got screwed by the by the system, man. You know what I mean? It was the only way to turn it around. And, um, you know, I started there. And then there's enough capital to, uh, you know, maybe put some money down and actually do a deal. And back then, we were buying properties at pennies on the dollar. Um, and again, that reputation built. So I started with OPM, other people's money. Um, put my, my um, it's funny, God bless my wife. She, everything I am, everything I have today is my wife. She's she's the rock that I get to stand on, so I can look cool. But she, uh, you know, she had she had credit available to her. I didn't. Her FICO score was good enough. I think mine was two, maybe three back then. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, you know, we we put we put materials on credit cards to do the jobs, and you know, I did the work myself in the beginning, and then I learned that's yeah. very painful, and then I you know I grew and I expanded and. It became a business. It became a business, you know? I love it. But I also love what you had to say just about, um, you know, the real estate investors not being that smart. And I, <laughs> that was just like, they, they didn't possess some character or trait that you also did right. not have. Like they were right. not substantially smarter or more knowledgeable than your than your average person, they just were being intentional about what they wanted to do and pursuing right. it and right. learning about it. I mean, it's like if I were to see a bas- pro basketball player, I would say they ha- they possess something. They also work hard and are intentional in pursuit, but they, for the most, I mean, they possess some natural traits that I do not possess and I Correct. cannot attain. And you're like, well, I, I think I, I have the intelligence. I'm just not train my brain and myself to think this way. You know what it is? I, 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 here's what I've found. And, and it sounds so, it sounds corny. It sounds cheesy. You can give it whatever label you, you, you want to attach to it. But success does leave clues. There, there, is, a, there is a genuine blueprint. Uh, because what, you, what you're referring to in today's society is something that was written back in 1900 and something by Napoleon Hill think and grow rich. And in that book, he interviewed the top 100 entrepreneurs of the time, your Rockefellers, your Fords, et cetera, et cetera. And they found out that those that possessed specialized knowledge won the race, won the game, whatever you want to call it. And what I realized at that moment in my life was, is I didn't have the specialized knowledge. And the reason I didn't have it is because I hadn't sought it. I hadn't gone looking for it, right? I was forced into a position where you either change or you don't, right? Like I, I jumped on you at the be- beginning out of respect, but it was like, you know, what you're trying to do. No, there is no do. There is either achieve or not achieve. There's no, there's no, you know, you're trying to do something. There's no try. You know, you go, you go, you go, you go, uh, and you take the right toolbox with you and the right people with you. And then it's just execution, execution. And I, and I looked at that, and a lot of what we did in the firehouse, you know, that's specialized knowledge, paramedicine, fighting a fire. How do you get in and get out of there and not die? Well, there's certain things that we're trained on that we look for, and you're mentored. Come on now, mentor, mentorship, guidance, somebody who's been there before me who says, you know what, I'll, come with me. I'll show you what I, what I do, see if it's a fit, and gain specialized knowledge. And once that happens then you get the traction that goes behind it. The challenge I find is this, and this is a bigger discussion for another day on another universe somewhere, but so many people stand at that point of acquiring the specialized knowledge, 
And then all they want to do is learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn, underwrite, analyze, analyze, analyze. And they don't, they don't pull the trigger. They don't do the do part, right? And, yes. uh, you know, doing the do part is where the magic happens. That's where the rubber reads the road. So, you know, everything else is just a polite discussion. Why would you go to law school? So you could just have a law degree on the wall but not practice law? It makes no sense. But I know, as you do, there are a lot of people out there went to law school got a degree, and they're not practicing law today. Am I right? That's very true. So I think that's, that's how I look at it. I've, I've thought about that concept a lot. And there's a phrase that, of course, I'm not going to be able to call it up right now, but something like perfection is the enemy of success. It's something like that. But yeah, it's basically yeah. too worried about making it perfect. This podcast is a great example of that. I you know, there. When I was very hesitant when I first started it, is say like, this doesn't have all of the fancy parts of all of, of some of the other podcasts that I listen yeah. to, and this doesn't have like all the things. And I was a bad interviewer when I started, man. I listened to some of those early ones. <laughs> Sound quality was garbage. I didn't know what. I was nervous. I didn't know what questions to ask. Um, and you know what? I'm still not there. And like, we don't have adver- I've been approached by advertisers, but frankly, I don't really want them. You know, like making money on this sounds great, but I have a law practice and I just like to talk to people like you and put it out there. Maybe I'll do it one day, but I know that there's there's 10,000 things I could do with this podcast. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. if I was too worried about making it perfect, I wouldn't be able to put out the great content that I do. And a lot of people I connect with and I get to I get to speak with people like you and then I'll get to have all these other conversations about you. Uh, after this, <laughs> then, um, but you know, I, I, because I'm not worried about it being perfect. I'm just doing it and it is getting better. It does improve. And, and thanks to Jack, who's listening here, it's getting better by the day and the week. I, um, I could, uh, by the way, I can see Jack and he's taking notes while we're talking. Now, I don't know whether our conversation is inspiring this young man or whether he's just saying, I'm going to use that in a soundbite somewhere else or whatever he's doing. Maybe he's doing a little bit of both, but who knows? Here's, here's what I'll give you, Phil. I, I, this, I'm not going to charge you for this one. You don't have to know everything before you do something. Yeah. That, that, is, that is it. Right. Seek, seek progress, not perfection. You know, I've, I've done a, quite a bit of real estate uh, education in my career as well. And I always say to people, just do one thing every single day that gets you closer towards whatever that goal is. To thine own self be true, right? Be honest with yourself. Are your actions in line with your intentions? You know, ask somebody that question and watch them crumble under, fold under questioning, Henry. You know what I mean? <laughs> see, see, how they, see how they do with that one. So I'm with you, For man. Sure. I'm with you. It's... Um, 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours to be an expert. Gladwell seems to have nailed that one when he came up mm. with that. Uh, mm. for his, but, you know, um, you talked about the large societal shift in the, mm. the 08 crash, and we're in the midst of one recording this middle of May 2021. Um, yeah. But, you know, I have found that I'm having a hard time ascertaining exactly what's happening in in our shift. And that's probably why I'm not out pursuing these massive returns um, because I just, you know, what I thought was going to happen with this pandemic six, eight, 12 months ago uh, has mm-hmm. not totally borne itself out. 
industrial has really taken off for a lot of different reasons, but retail continues to lag. Hospitality, I think, will come back. You know, residential has remained strong. Um, but just tell me, what are your thoughts on what exactly is changing in the market and how you um, how how you can position yourself to yeah to great do well with that? Yeah, great questions. Look, you know. Nobody could have predicted or wrote a thesis on a global pandemic and its impact on the world economy, let alone, you know, a national economy, your city or town economy, your street economy, right? Nobody could have, nobody could have wrote a thesis on that, uh, I think, and, um, you know, been able to play all the variables out. So, so for me, I look at it, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm really a, I'm a micro guy, Right, I, like uh, micro markets make sense to me. Uh, fundamentals make sense to me. And one of the things that that is has yet to play out is is the stimulus money uh, that has been you know pumped into the economy uh, without any real transference of goods and services. So that fundamental of I've got something of value, you've got some capital, you want it, let's do a trade, right? Whatever that is, and. That seems to have taken a, a back seat. I'm not an economist, Phil. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm not bringing you know collegiate degrees to back up my arguments. Um, I'm, I'm bringing blue collar attitude in a white collar world. So I look at that and I say, well, you know, what could potentially be the fallout from that? Well, first of all, the amount of defaults that are now going on that are not recorded or not um, relayed out to the marketplace is increasing. We're not hearing about it. Nobody's talking about it. Uh, they're not talking about the fact that one, two, three uh, markets right now have all bought the gavel down and said that the um, eviction moratorium uh, is illegal. The CDC does not have the authority to tell me I can I cannot evict a non-paying tenant. Now that doesn't really affect the markets that I do business in because they're busy friendly, uh, business friendly markets anyway. But now some of that New York, Chicago, Boston, right? Some of our some of our cities, man. Um, our landlords are going to be able to take a take a breather and start moving some more, you know, some more um, folks around. And I don't want this to sound cold. I don't want it to sound you know, slum landlordy. That's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about business, fundamentals, goods and services. I got a beautiful apartment. You should have to pay to live in it. I've got a beautiful apartment. You should have to pay to live in it. I keep you safe. I keep it clean. I keep, you know, I give you a, a good service as a as an operator. You should pay for it. So that's going to have uh, an effect. And then the one that just amazes me is, is you know, the the... <laughs> Don't worry about paying your mortgage. It's okay. Just just take a little breather. Take a break. Take a break. Yep. Um, I get it. I understand the intent behind it. But you know as well as I do, my friend, the bank always gets paid. Always gets paid. Um, it's just the way our society is put together. So, you know, what is it going to look like when that comes due? And some people say, well, it'll be a, you know, it'll be in arrearage. It'll be on the back end. Some people say it'll be a blend of, you know, a rearage and some money now. These are challenges, man. They create, a, a again, a dislocation of home ownership. It will happen. Nobody's predicting anything like 2008. 
you know, the underlying indicators or, or causes and conditions are totally different, yet the results could be somewhat similar. Um, so we look at that. And then I look at the fact that in Florida, for example, I just took a business trip down, the amount of restaurants that are boarded up because they cannot find employees to work in the restaurants. The lower paying job market is getting more money sitting at home, you know, living off of the government system. That's a problem, brother. Until we until we have a different fabric of how we work every day in this country, that's a problem. That is a problem. So what does all of that mean? Well, those are all moving parts. And as investors, we hedge the downside and accelerate the upside, right? That's why I'm not in leisure. That's why I'm not in big box. That's why I'm not in light industrial. That's why I don't invest in, I'm not invested. Do not call me and say, I got a single family house to sell you that you can buy, fix and flip. Don't call me. I'll hang up on you and giggle. It's not going to happen. I'm not interested. Too much, uh, too much, um, you know, unpredictability about what the single family market is going to do. I saw a meme today. It said the hottest places in the universe, the core of the world, earth, the sun, and the (laughs) residential real estate marketplace, right? So those, so those things are challenges. So how do I, how do I hedge? How do I hedge against that, the down that's coming? How do I accelerate the up? I do 20 year lookbacks. We just go old school, baby. Take a look at commercial residential real estate investing over a 20 year look back. And over 20 years, apartment house investing has outperformed all other investments in the marketplace, including the stock market. Why? Because people will always pay for somewhere to live first before they go to the bar and buy a beer, before they go to a restaurant and get a hamburger. They want to make sure that there is a roof over their heads. So that's our number one hedge. Secondly, where we invest, Florida, 1,500 people a day moving to the marketplace, one of the most business-friendly states that there are. Um, It's welcoming our money. It's welcoming our business strategies. And then after that, we, we put ourselves in a, in a good position on the buy side of the acquisition. I'm not buying at a three, 3% yield. I'm not buying with tight margins. I'm not buying on an expectation of forced appreciation. I'm buying on good, solid deals right out of the gate so that what happens next, whether it gets better or whether it gets a little challenged, I'm always going to be in a good position, Right. It's in my underwriting from day one. You make your money in real estate. We say you make your money on the buy side. You realize your profits uh, on the sell side and the cash flow or at time of refinance. So that's that's how we hedge that. And we don't over leverage. We don't over leverage. Um, we, we, keep, uh, we keep cash flow strong, as strong as we can. So with our leverage position and our buy position, uh, we consider ourselves to be somewhere around a 55 to 60% loan to value on the assets at the time that we buy them before we get into repositioning them. I'm sorry that's long-winded, but there are so many, so many variables in the marketplace that, you know, if an operator isn't paying attention to all of that, then, you know, it can be, it can be pretty dramatically uh, uh, challenging for, the, for the, the group as a whole trying to execute on a business plan. Yeah, no, I, I liked your long answer, so thanks for providing it. Dave, you know, if people want to get in touch with you, I want to be respectful of your time here. Um, yeah. If people want to listen to more of what you have to say, what's a, what's a great place 
for them to do more of you. And also you're raising a fund. So yeah, I know yeah. you can be available. So I, I am, I am available. It, when we put this together, this, this business, um, you know, and put the team together, I said, what separates us from our competition? It's accessibility and transparency. So to your point of accessibility, I'm old school, baby. Pick up the telephone, dial 781-922-4418. The phone will ring, and I will be told that, hey, it's somebody calling who heard you on uh, on Phil's show. Uh, they want to kibitz a little bit. If you want to call me up and bitch me out because you didn't agree with what I said, bring it on. Let's have a discussion. If you want to call me up and say, hey, my money is lazy. It's sitting in a, in a CD, a certificate of death. Or uh, my money's under the couch, or my money's sitting in a cell, in a you know, in a retirement account that ain't ain't working hard enough. Can you help me? Then yeah, I can show you what we do with Investor Capital. Um, you can reach us at uh, freedomventure.com, freedomventure.com. Uh, some education there. Uh, I don't, I'm not taking Investor Capital if they don't know what the heck they're doing. Let's set the expectations right. But uh, yeah, I like a good discussion, man. As I'm sure you've. You've been able been able to figure out, right? Well, we certainly appreciate you coming on the show, Dave. Thanks so much. All right, Phil. God bless, brother. Be well. This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances. 